this summer. Your local movie theater will become a tent revival for proclaiming Jesus. And you're invited to be a part of this unique evangelistic campaign. Join with believers nationwide for the Million Souls campaign to bring unsaved family and friends to watch the powerful new movie, The Firing Squad, starring Kevin Sorbo and Cuba Gooding Jr. The Firing Squad tells the incredible true story about prisoners who find faith in the face of execution and transform their prison in the process. As the movie ends, co-star Kevin Sorbo comes on the screen to lead the entire theater in a prayer to commit one's life to Jesus Christ, providing an on-site opportunity to introduce family and friends to the message of Jesus. Go to FiringSquadFilm.com and learn how you can receive free tickets and more to the Firing Squad and participate in this unique theater event. Bring your friends and your family and bring your faith. That's FiringSquadFilm.com to learn more. Here's a little secret about the mainstream media. They claim to hate conservative media, but I think they're kind of obsessed with us. Uh, and today's guest knows all about this. He's been profiled by the New York Times Magazine, ABC News. During the 2016 election, oh, he was a regular on MSNBC, NPR, The Hill, Politico. They've all turned to him for feedback on what's going on. Media Matters, in particular, is totally in sweetheart love with this guy they once claimed that the dace radio show and writings are more extreme and intolerant than his comments in mainstream media in the last three weeks alone they've published 11 articles about him he's a number one best-selling author the uh, faucian uh, bargain the most powerful and dangerous bureaucrat in american history his latest is the rise of the fourth reich this year, he took on Hollywood with his underdog success of Nefarious, which is just one of the projects that he and I have collaborated on. He's done all the work. I've just come in and I looked pretty. Um, we're more than just co-workers at Blaze TV. His daily radio program is literally right after mine on the network. At this point, he and I are so deep inside conservative media that we often forget how unique our job is. And we're both so busy that we rarely get a chance to slow down and have kind of discussion that make this podcast unique. So let's slow down and please welcome Steve Dace. Before we get to Steve, if you're like me, this time of the year, every time you step outside, you feel like you're supposed to be, you know, dropping the ring of power into Mount Doom. Um, at least that's what it feels like. <laughs> It does feel like you're right there on the precipice looking into the lava pit uh, uh, every time you step outside here in Dallas where it's about 110 degrees. I have to do things in public because the universe just loves me like that. And I hate sweating. It's embarrassing. You're, you're wringing out your shirt every few minutes, which is why I love sweat block. They have these wipes that you can use. And I kid you not, you are good for days afterwards. The sweat just goes away. It'll blow your mind. It really will. Sweat block developed by a Harvard doctor who is tired of standing up in front of his class you know, with the sweat tacos underneath his arms. Uh, and his problem is now your solution. If you're like me, you might suffer from excessive sweating all the time, maybe a little bit. 
But there are certain moments, usually the ones that occur at the absolute worst possible time, where the faucets just start to turn on full blast. Turn the faucets off with Sweatblock. Try the one-of-a-kind Sweatblock wipes today for 20% off at Sweatblock.com. Use the promo code BECK, or you can get the magic Sweatblock wipes on Amazon. Hey, Steve. Hey. How are you? I'm good, man. How are you? Uh, tired. Uh, you know, last night was the uh, debate, and we were all here late. And yep. I haven't had a chance to talk to you one-on-one on, on what the heck happened. What happened last night? It was a bizarre, never-before string of events <laughs> that is people are just acting like it's normal this is not normal none of this is normal i i don't think anything about this cycle is going to be normal yeah and i'm i'm not sure that our people are prepared and in their defense i don't know any people could be prepared um but i i think like even today i mean fulton county originally wanted to have a trial in march literally right after the dc trial now they want to have it on october the 23rd You've this got year, to be kidding. they announced that just right before you and I started How sitting down here to talk. Not it, clearly a election. It's an, it, it's an assassination. It, it, we don't do Dealey Plaza anymore. Yeah. that's too obvious. Right. So now we use social media and lawfare. We're going to do assassinations that way. And so, I, 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 in a way, I had very low expectations going in. You know, and I actually enjoyed it more than I thought. I did too. It was one of the first debates. The summit. I thought changed everything. Mm-hmm. And I was really wondering how old and tired is this format going to look? Mm-hmm. I actually got a lot of hope out of it. I did because I, we needed to break up sort of the stagnant talking points of Team GOP. Waste, fraud and abuse, efficiency. Okay. We've heard all that stuff for 30 years. And, and Trump came in and broke a lot of that monotony up and brought a flair and a showmanship back to the process. And I think that attracted a lot of new eyeballs. Mm-hmm. But I, but I do fear now that we are at this existential, we're at, we're at like 14 existential cliffs as a people right now on every front, socioeconomic, morally, culturally, theologically, philosophically, epistemologically, medically now after COVID, we're at, we're at, we've got more existential cliffs than we know what to do with. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel now like we, we kind of need some of the old time religion back. Like the run and shoot offense was fun for a while, you know, but now we kind of get back to some blocking and tackling. And I thought last night at the debate, we did something. Now, I didn't, I don't know. It wasn't always great, but we actually talked issues. Yeah. Now, most of the candidates and issues that matter, except when Fox decided to ask about UFOs instead of gender mutilation. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But for the most part, we talked issues. And I thought, I think you saw two candidates that represented in their own way, an understanding of what we like to say in the right, what time it is. Everybody else, I thought, was from a different era, politically, a different paradigm and a bygone era. Yeah. And it's it's I think Biden um, has really done this. I mean, Trump is, you know, in the same era as Biden. But mm-hmm. Biden just looks like Father Time, mm-hmm. who has died mm-hmm. about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when you had Ramaswamy and uh, DeSantis standing there. Nikki Haley at one point said, you know, it's time for the next generation. And I thought of those two, not including her. And I realized, oh, my, she's the same age. But she was still speaking kind of the old language. Right. Right. And and I think that 
there was one there was one moment last night that I thought kind of encapsulated this the most. And it was the question on education in the second half of the debate. And DeSantis goes first and talks about how he has specifically confronted things like, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. critical race theory, the rainbow jihad, Mm -hmm. and thrown him out of the schools in Florida. Mm -hmm. And he's probably the only person we know that's ever done something like Mm -hmm. that. And so he talks about the specific threats, itemizes them, how I confronted them. And then right after him, Vivek gets to follow up. And Vivek talks about the broader zeitgeist cultural issues that led to the, the things that DeSantis had to confront. And I thought that three to five minutes right there between the two of them, where Vivek highlighted the broader issues that led to the fights that DeSantis is now engaged in. And DeSantis talking about, here are the fights I took on and how I got mm-hmm. rid of these people. I thought that was the best three to five minutes on the issue of education that has ever been televised uh, in the history of the Republican Party. Hmm. And, and, and it's way beyond any of the talking points or anything we've been fed for a generation and, and really spoke to an understanding in their own way. Um, Vivek speaks thematically. Um, DeSantis speaks specifically. And, but in their own way, they each touched on things in a level of depth that none of the rest of the candidates on that stage could, could even if they wanted to, no. And, and I'm not, and, and, and I also don't think that's who Trump is. I think Trump tries to find people that can do that, you know, and I'll delegate, you do that, and I'll be over here, you know, um, you know clearing, giving you air cover with the media. Yeah. But, but at some point, we need to, we are, our people are, and when I say our people, I'm not just talking about now people who consume products like ours. I mean, our countrymen. Mm-hmm. We are in a nuclear winter epistemologically. Most people don't know why they believe what they believe. They don't know what is true. Uh, We're at a point right now that guys like you and I, for example, could go on MSNBC and pretend we believe like them and we could actually articulate their views better than them. Mm -hmm. They have been so successful in dumbing down and removing critical thinking from their side of the aisle to get them to buy into their false premises that now their own people can't even explain what they think. They're not like smart anymore. Yeah. There's no Andrew Sullivan's anymore. You know, there, 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 there's no Gory Vidal's debating William F. Buckley's anymore. They're not smart. There's, their arguments are dumb. They're very vapid, shallow. It's all name calling. Well, if you just disagree with me, they must be a racist. They have, because they have been taught anything else. And, we need to have, I, you know, I was reading a book recently by a guy I know that you know, uh, kind of his memoirs, James Robinson wrote his mm-hmm. memoirs. Yeah. And he was talking about how Billy Graham came back from the Soviet Union in 1979. He was invited to speak there and found out while he was there that they were basically using him as propaganda during the confrontation with the Carter administration over the Olympics and things of that nature. And that Billy Graham was walking through Red Square and just, you know, thought he, the Lord spoke to him and said, um, freedom will be gone from America and the West within the next decade, unless you guys radically change course. And so he came back and he called some of the people that we now know today as kind of the founding fathers of the old Christian right, mm-hmm. the Pat Robertsons, the, mm-hmm. um, the Adrian Rogers, the James Robinsons. And he convened a meeting here in Dallas, actually. They met here in Dallas. And what do we do in the future? And one of the things they decided was they had to find a leader, someone that could speak to the, to the people about the extent and the stakes that they were playing for, how serious the matter of the moment was. And when they looked and surveyed the landscape of who was going to run in the Republican Party in that next cycle, the only person they could think of that had that credibility was somebody none of them knew at the time. The former actor is what they called mm-hmm. him, Ronald Reagan. And, um, and they, made the, they, they decided to go to him 
and try to, he wasn't going to run again in 1980. He had already run in 76 and lost and was maybe going to move on from politics. And they basically convinced him that you are the one person where they can stand up on that stage uh, nationally and convince people of the existential stakes that we are standing on uh, and that we're on the brink of right now as a people. Mm. And what we desperately need right now um, and we don't, and the window for this is closing, Glenn. Um, I, I, here's, I, we, have, we have this thing on the right right now that we somehow believe there is some middle way to win other than policy or bullets. There never has been that way. Our founders gave us a constitution so we'd fight civil wars at the ballot box and in the halls of legislatures and Congress and not out on the streets. We, these sorts of irreconcilable differences that we have now as a people they're only determined by policy outcomes or bullets. Mm -hmm. There is no killer meme. There is no devastating troll that we're gonna come up with and Randy Weingarten's gonna say, you know what, hot damn. Now is really gonna convince another generation of kids to become Marxists. But I read your killer meme and I'm really ashamed of myself <laughs> and I'm gonna stop. It doesn't happen. Right. We have to beat them in policy or, be, or we're gonna have to fight them. That's history. I don't, I'm not, you and I at our age aren't gonna be the ones fighting them. Our kids and grandkids are. And we're going to force them to do that if we don't take advantage of the window we have right now to use whatever remnant of constitutional processes we have to peaceably but aggressively push back on this. And we need someone to stand on the stage and explain, here's why I'm doing this. Here's what's at stake. All right. And if we don't do this, here's what will happen. And if we don't do this and take advantage of this window, I don't even I don't even want to contemplate. Mm -hmm. what things are where things are in five or ten years uh well i can't even think that far out um if we don't if we don't really dramatically change and find this this person um uh, uh, a story i've never shared before mike lee and i think it started as a joke uh, mike lee used to say uh to me all the time you should run for president and i'm like are you out of your mind <laughs> and uh he called me one day about a year ago and he I was, we were just chatting. My wife finally came in. She's like, what are you two talking about? Wrap it up. And I said, he's trying to convince me to run for president. Hmm. And, and I'm, I'm like, Mike, that's the dumbest thing. I have no, this where it ended. I said, I have no chance of winning. And he laughed and he said, oh, of course not. I'm not saying you should run for president because I think you could win. Mm -hmm. Somebody needs to articulate mm -hmm. where we are mm -hmm. and what we face and who we have always been and need to remember who we are. Uh, he said, we, we need a storyteller. And I, I think we have that now on the stage last night um, between DeSantis uh, and uh, Vivek, uh, we have Vivek, doing the big aspirational Ronald mm -hmm. Reagan, mm -hmm. which was fascinating that he coupled it with, he's so positive of here's who, here's who we are. Mm -hmm. Here's who we, what we're going to be again. But he started it with, it's not morning in America. I thought that was one of the most important lines. Me of the too. I agree with that. Me too. And I, I, I have been critical of Vivek the last few months and I will explain why. Um, I think I emceed his first campaign event in Iowa. It was a bitterly cold night in January. I mean, really bad. And I wasn't sure he called and asked me to do this. I, I adore Kathy Barnett, who is kind of his top campaign uh, um, advisor. And so she called and asked me to do it. 
And um, and I had some mutual friends that knew him who were very high on him, so I was very curious. And I went, not sure how many people would come. There were well over 100 people there in the dead of January in Des Moines, Iowa. That early in the process, that is a very good crowd. I mean, the place was packed at this restaurant. And I watched him stand up there and take questions. I mean, I, I watched him take questions from my fellow evangelicals who dominate Iowa on religion as a Hindu. Mm-hmm. And, and I watched him like, and I'm a Bible guy. I use your network. Your network's not explicitly Christian. I use your network and platform. I'll do Bible studies, theology sure. conversations. And so I'm a big Bible guy. When I hear Mike Pence bring it up, I cringe. Me too. As a Bible guy. Like I can't imagine what the rest of the broader culture who doesn't, who isn't into that or doesn't understand it. I, I can't even imagine how they receive it because I cringe when Mike Pence talks when about Mike it. When Mike Pence talked last night, I agreed with, I love Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's the problem. Mm-hmm. We are not worshiping God. Mm-hmm. We've lost our way. I agree with everything he said. And I, my skin crawled when mm-hmm. he was saying it. I it agree. Was so now, I don't know what it is. Now, obviously, I've got fundamental religious differences with Vivek. I mm-hmm. believe there is one God, not 33, for example. Mm-hmm. And yet there's more sincerity from him, I think, when he talks about these broader spiritual themes than from somebody like Pence, who I more theologically would agree with. Mm-hmm. I, when he said last night, the most effective form of government in human history is the nuclear family. I mean, that's now you're speaking my love language. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I listened to this for two hours. And I'm like, I think I could see this becoming a thing in Iowa. Mm -hmm. I mean, I really could. Something happened the last few months where until like the second hour of last night's debate, I've not heard a lot of that. And here's what I honestly think. I honestly believe that he thought this was an opportunity to have a very serious conversation about the next generation. And then he got out on on the campaign trail and maybe found out maybe the people aren't that serious. Maybe what they want is a troll, a show. And so I'm going to become that guy and, and hmm. kind of be, and, and I think you saw that at the, at the first hour of the debate last night. Okay. I'm the only one not controlled. I'm the only one, uh, you know, that has yeah, done yeah. this. And, 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 and he even got booed. He went so far overboard, overplayed that hand. He actually got booed at one point in the debate. Mm-hmm. Second half it was of the, on that line, yes. which I thought was really bad. Second half of the debate we got is when he just kind of was, the, um, the curious ideologue that mm-hmm. people like you adore. Mm-hmm. And I think you saw him absolutely shine at that point. And, and, and when I look at DeSantis, I see a guy that understands the broader stakes very well, does not thematically communicate them as well as Vivek, mm-hmm. but understands how government works. And Ron DeSantis to me, do you remember the old SNL skit with Phil Hartman? It was during a Ron Contra. And it was the early years of the Dana Carvey, Chris Farley, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, Phil Hartman era of SNL. And they, and they did this skit where Hartman played Ronald Reagan, who was, who was like, I don't remember anything. I'm old. I'm losing my memory. Right. And, then, and then so Reagan would play this up. You know, Jimmy Stewart, played by Dana Carvey, would come mm-hmm. visit him. And he'd act like he doesn't remember when they were in movies together. Right. doesn't remember his name. Right? right. And then at seven o'clock, when the White House press corps goes home. Switch gets flipped, all right? And the, and the Oval Office is like a freaking bat cave. Yeah. And Reagan is like doing foreign exchange rates for Iranian <laughs> in his head. Do you remember this skit? Right. It's brilliant. Mm-hmm. And like Reagan is actually the godfather. He's in complete mm-hmm. control. The amiable dunce thing is all an act. And when the TV cameras go off, he is actually in complete and total control all by himself. That's kind of who Ron DeSantis is, actually. He's, he's kind of the guy that doesn't need much of a staff. I mean, he actually enjoys the, he, he wants to know where the bodies are buried. Mm-hmm. He wants to know the specifics. He is eager to, he is eager to exercise power against his enemies and in favor of his ideology. 
And I thought what you saw between Vivek and Ron last night was two halves of the of the of the the singular brain that we need right mm-hmm. now. Someone who can emotionally speak to the zeitgeist and the themes that are at stake, and Vivek mm-hmm. does that exceedingly well. And then someone though, and eventually, it, it, it's time as Jesus said, why do you call me Lord if you do not do what I say, right? Eventually it's time to grow some fruit on the tree. Who can do the things that Vivek talks about? And that is where DeSantis shines. Mm-hmm. And I think what would be fascinating is to see the two of them on a stage together for two hours. And, and to watch the doer versus the thinker. And the guy that well, he he is he's a doer. He's not been a doer for government. Correct. I mean, he has run large corporations. Uh, uh, he's successful. Correct. But it, but, here's but the, he's not a government guy. Correct. Back to the podcast here in a second. First, let me tell you, a lot of the time criminals are completely predictable. That's because the overwhelming majority of them are stupid. However, that's not true when you're dealing with cybercrime or the Biden family. Every once in a while, they'll pull a fast one in a way that you might not expect. For instance, they can steal your home's title, forge your signature on it, and then own your home. And here's the kicker. When it happens, you might not even know about it for a long time, months, until it's too late. Some people literally have found out when they start getting past due notices on loans they never took out. Uh, I know another couple of people that found out when the sheriff was on their door saying, you're a squatter. Get out. This house isn't owned by you. Um, it is something that is a mess and will just destroy many years of your life. There is uh, somebody that actually does this, and this is all they do is home title lock. They lock in your home's title. You'll have peace of mind that you have somebody watching out for you. Not all criminals are idiots and even even idiots can do this. It's amazing how easy it is to, to steal the title of your home. Home Title Lock will protect you and your title. So go there now and uh, you just go to HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code BECK. Sign up. Home Title Lock. When you sign up, first day, 30 days of protection are free. And you can also find out right away if your home's already been stolen. It's HomeTitleLock.com. Promo code BECK. One of the things we learned about with Trump is that running the government like a business is not easy, first of all. Yes. Okay. Secondly, remember, Trump didn't run like your classic corporation. He ran an empire. Mm. He didn't face shareholders, division heads. Mm. So he could be that Phil Hartman character. I mean, he could hire and fire in a given day. I'm out. I'm done with you. You're gone. I liked you. I don't. You're done. And when you're running a de- you know, the largest corporation on planet Earth, the executive branch of the United States government, man, that includes the Pentagon, mm-hmm. okay, the Department of Justice mm-hmm. and everything else, your ability to figure out who are, who's going to run the fiefdoms. I can't watch everything. This is beyond the grasp oh, of know. one man. It's like Moses, right? And Jethro, his father-in-law, comes to him and says, this is too much for one man. You've got to figure out who you're going to delegate this to. And so he figured out, you know, I'm going to delegate it to people like Steve Mnuchin and Rex Tillerson, and, and we all know these names, okay? Mm-hmm. And they were disastrous. Mm -hmm. All right. Notice where Trump shined when he could unilaterally act foreign policy, for example. I can unilaterally direct that. I can walk into a room of Saudi sheiks and declare, here's the new America plan. If you like making money, we'll help you. If you want to be left alone, we'll leave you alone. If you get in our way, we're going to drop Moab's on you. Any questions? And lo and behold, man, we had peace deals we've never seen. Yep. He, he, he undid 40 years of failed Bush-Clinton era, mm-hmm. Jim Baker and, and, and uh, you know, uh, Madeleine Albright foreign policy. And where he could directly intervene, 
judicial appointments, although that still required some level of yeah, approval. Yeah. Okay. Executive orders. He did great. Now, of course, Biden comes in and can erase all those executive orders in 10 minutes. But when the best parts of Trump's presidency where he did things for us no one had ever done before and accomplished things that were way beyond people's expectations mm -hmm. is when he could directly intervene and act. When he actually had to move government, negotiate, move the party, he outsources Obamacare to McConnell and Ryan, it never gets mm -hmm. done. He could not, that, that's because that's not his background. And that's not the kind of business he ran. The kind of business he ran was, I am Commodus in the arena, thumbs up or thumbs down. Mm -hmm. When he was able to do that as president, he was an A plus. When he was not able to do that as president, he was handicapped. So the problem that he had, I think, and he has said this, is um, he didn't realize this, this is what he said to me. He didn't realize the scope and how deep the problems went. Mm -hmm. And he just didn't make his loading of his team the priority. Mm -hmm. He was going to make that in the second term. Mm -hmm. um, but now I, I'm not sure if he can get enough people I mean, we're talking thousands of people that are going to be reporting directly to him or somebody else mm -hmm. that is supposed to, you know, be taking care of his vision. I don't know who can find these things on their own. Um, it's going to take a tremendous team and a team that is uh, not from the swamp, mm -hmm. not your usual players. Um, and people with just nerves of steel. You saw this with Reagan. When Reagan came from California with Lynn Nofsinger and Michael Deaver, when he came, uh, Ed Meese, when he, came, when he brought the California team with him in his first term, he revolutionized the political landscape. Mm -hmm. Now, it wouldn't look revolutionary to us 40 years later, but, but you know, judging from where the, where the political system was in 1981, it was, fair, it was very radical. Mm -hmm. Then what happens, the second term, a lot of those people go home, man. They're tired. Washington is a grind. They want their lives back. And now kind of the Howard Bakers and those kinds of people now begin to take over. And now, now we're going to give Big Pharma and, you know, a lifetime uh, you know, exemption. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to do amnesty that loses California and turns it into the worst blue state in the country. Mm -hmm. and, and so personnel, you know, this is the old Morton Blackwell line from the Leadership Institute. Personnel is policy. Your ability to identify personnel. And this gets back to the conversation with the lawfare against Trump. You know, so a friend of mine, Jenna Ellis, who was one of the president's attorneys, uh, and she did had no clue. Jenna had no clue she was going to get indicted in Fulton County. No heads up. No one called her. No one asked her any questions. She was just hanging out on Twitter the day the indictments come down and reads on Twitter, her name is in it. She was just stunned and blown away. So now she's got to scramble all right, to come up with the money for an attorney. Because of the likelihood you'll be disbarred, discredited, because you're representing anybody associated with Trump, all right, this is like, you know, working, uh, this is, this is the, le the legal equivalent of managing a convenience store in South Central LA, third shift, mm -hmm. all right? You're gonna pay those guys a lot more an hour than you're paying people working, you know, at eight o'clock in the morning, because it's a lot more dangerous, Correct. all right? And so she was quoted as much as million dollar retainers. She finally got a competent attorney who would do this for a $50,000 retainer. Uh, that was the cheapest she could find before we got to the billable hours. She's been told to keep her out of prison. It'll cost a minimum of a half a million dollars. Now she's at the low end of this RICO case that they're trying to do in Fulton County. What's it costing Rudy Giuliani and the people at the top end? I've been told by a little birdie, John Eastman's uh, legal fees are already over $2 million. How many people that you and I both know, you and I both know a lot of people that worked in the Trump administration. 
How many of those people can afford the lawfare of being Trump adjacent? And that's one we have to ask ourselves, can he form an administration? If he were, let's say he beats all these, he's got 41 indictments, Mm -hmm. that's a lot. Mm-hmm. Let's say he beats them all. Let's say he convinces the normies and independents to come back to him that we've lost the last three elections and pulls all mm-hmm. of that off. That's an, that's an incredibly tall task, but let's say he does it. Who's then willing to go? You think these people are going to say, you know what? You beat us again, so we're just going to go ahead and beat our swords into plowshares now and let you govern. No, they're going to triple down on what they did before. What competent people will want to go in there knowing that the minute they, do, they sign on to a letterhead that has Trump's name on it, I'm looking at walking out of here, not making millions of dollars writing my memoirs of working in the White House, but spending millions of dollars on legal bills. That's, there's a reason why a lot of the best people, and, and I'm not talking you know, the Steve Mnuchin or Jared Kushner's, yeah. people that we liked. There's a, lot of, there's a reason why even the people that we liked are not formally with the Trump campaign while they're supporting him publicly because they can't afford the, what's going to happen to them because of that. And I think that these are the kinds of questions we have to consider. And, and nobody wants to talk about them. And, and I understand why it's uncomfortable. Um, it, it, we shouldn't be talking about these things. It's a friggin' disaster that we are. But we're sitting here right now, and can anybody, who can say right now that at this time, what are, I think it's 326 days until, the G, until someone will give uh, the acceptance speech at the GOP convention in Milwaukee next July 18th. Can you tell me right now, I mean, you have, you have a history of being a visionary and seeing things coming in our movement, in our industry before a lot of people doing connecting dots. Tell me right now, do you know for sure that Donald Trump will, ha- will have the freedom to go to Milwaukee, to leave Mar-a-Lago and go to Milwaukee in person and, and deliver that acceptance speech? They wouldn't have to do it like over Zoom via house arrest. They wouldn't have to take a plea agreement that he wouldn't even be incarcerated in some way, shape or form. Can, can, you, can, you, can you tell me right now that you know for sure that that's the case? Because I don't. No. Um, and I say that because um, of the cowardice of attorneys. Mm-hmm. Um, our attorneys in this country have grown fat and wealthy on the just gorging themselves on the blood of freedom. Mm-hmm. And uh, they are all complete wusses. Mm-hmm. None of them want to take uh, him on, you know, in, in his defense. No one wants to because they're being threatened that they'll lose their right. their firm, their jobs, their reputation. So everybody wants to right. stay away. And because we don't have a John Adams mm-hmm. and we don't who have will this, even, who will even represent red coats in the Boston massacre. Yes. Yeah. And we don't have a I mean, the, when you look at John Adams. That was almost a death sentence for him mm-hmm. to take on. He was the most unpopular guy at the time, but he did it because it was right. I don't see those people stepping to the plate. Um, I don't see those people, uh, you know, they're using, they are twisting the law and using every trick in the book and distorting and pushing um to get him into a courtroom, lawfare. Mm-hmm. Where are the people who are the prosecutors in any of these states where Hunter Biden agreed? Where, where are they? So this is this is where the par- like, for example, back to Jenna. She her bond is one hundred thousand dollars, Glenn, to stay out of jail. Hundred grand. 
And again, she's at the low end of this Fulton County case. She can't just come up with $100,000 out of nowhere. Thankfully, a lot of people, including her own Mark Levin, myself and others, have publicized her legal defense. She's probably raised enough to come up with the bond and her retainer. But I mean, she's still got to come up with hundreds of thousands of dollars more. Why? You asked the key question a second ago. And I had to undergo this paradigm shift as well. I mean, I would have been somebody who four or five years ago, 2017, I'd have said, no way. I mean, we, we, are, we, we, um, we, don't, we don't tell private corporations like Twitter what to do if they want to ban people. Mm. They're, they're a private company. We don't, we, we don't want to set that example. When we talk about the Constitution, we got to go back a layer. Understand the Constitution begins with the words, we the people, in order to form a more perfect union. That is a statement of social compact. Right. So a marriage is not is is not the genesis of a covenantal relationship between a man and a woman. It is the formalizing of it, the quantifying of it, the announcement of it, that covenant. You're, you're searing that covenant, but but you're you've already stepped into it by your willingness to confirm it publicly, meaning that that association, that intimacy, that desire to be with one another in that union has already been expressed. The marriage is just the culmination of that expression. Mm -hmm. That's what our Constitution is. The, this, the, the, the Declaration of Independence is sort of the DNA of America. Mm -hmm. The social compact is these, this is who we are as a people. This is how we're going to agree to live together. This is how, you know, how are we going to settle our differences and maintain e pluribus unum, as you've talked about for years. The Constitution is simply just a legal quantification of right. those things. It's not a mission statement. The quantif the, the, it is the announcement of the marriage. The marriage has already taken place. Mm -hmm. There's already 13 states. Mm -hmm. We've already formed a union. Mm -hmm. right? Now we're going to talk about how we're going to live together in light of the fact we've agreed to live together. It's that social compact that is broken. The old way of doing things, and it frustrated people like us at times because it would work against us, but the old social compact was in the two-party era post-Civil War. If one side went too far right of center or one side went too far left of center, then there would be such a unique backlash of punishment by the voters for doing so that are not really as politically in tune to either side like people like you and I are, our audiences. That backlash would be so prohibitive then that it would keep people in check. And a lot of times, Republican establishment figures would tell people like you and I, we can't do the stuff that you want us to do because we'll get the backlash of the very voters you're talking about. When Barack Obama won the presidency in 2008, that was, that was a sign that the social compact in America is over. A new breed of left-wing activists had taken over now. And someone that is not interested in polls doesn't care. He's wait, interested wait, wait, in wait, wait, wait. That's not what I think the American people thought they were getting were saying. Correct. They thought they were expunging themselves. They thought they were they, that they yeah. were absolving a, they were, a century of sin of, of racism and, and they slavery. were coming together. Yes. We the people want to show that we are not Correct. those people. But yeah. you don't sit in Jeremiah's church, Jeremiah Wright's no, church for a few years and not absorb a few things. Yeah, I know. All right. That's not that's not where you go to church in order to flaunt yourself or build mm -hmm. up a political resume. You go to a mm -hmm. church like that because you're a true believer. Mm -hmm. And what happened is an actual Marxist got elected and and he's out to win an argument with history. Republicans are out to win the next election and win polls. So go back and think of that era when we'd have like fights over um, the sequester and government funding, right? And you'd watch Boehner and McConnell make the walk of shame to the White House and come out empty handed mm -hmm. with nothing, okay? Mm -hmm. Because they were negotiating against themselves. 
Remember when Bill Clinton got annihilated in 94 mm-hmm. and the next State of the Union he gave in 95, what was his opening statement? The, the era of big government is, is over. over. He heard the voters. He saw the backlash. The second term of Bill Clinton, we got the Defensive Marriage Act. We got balanced budgets. We got three strikes and you're out for criminals. We got welfare reform. You couldn't be on welfare for more than two years. These are the kinds of things the Republicans did. These the racist, misogynist, xenophobic, homophobes. Bill Clinton did them all in the second term. Mm-hmm. That's a different era, though. He represented a different era. A new generation of left-wing activists is what Obama represents. And so Obama was not deterred by the, he got a 94-like annihilation in 2010 by the Tea Party. Didn't Mm -hmm. care. He then got even worse in 2014. We had a nine-seat swing in one Senate election. That's one of the biggest in American history. Didn't deter him at all. He came in a Marxist, went out a Marxist. He was out to reshape the country. He's a crusader on a mission. Mm-hmm. And, and, that, and so therefore, your traditional ability of, of deferring, we maintain our, our constitutional fealty. We let them go radical and the voters will step in ref- as referees and punish them for, for overreacting and overreach. That, has, that doesn't happen any longer. And this last midterm election, when you saw me nearly have a nervous breakdown sitting next to you on the stage that night, mm-hmm. was the final proof of that. And that's why I was having a nervous breakdown, because there's no more excuses. Now we don't have the Trump excuse, the mean tweets. He's not on the ballot anymore. They're literally out there wearing unitards and pitchforks, open, demon, open demonic, you know, we're yeah. going to gender mutilate your kids. If there was ever a moment the normies would have come home and said, like they used to, and they would have said, okay, that can't happen. We can't have Hillary care. We, we can't have Obamacare. If there was ever a moment that the normies would have come home and said, time for a backlash midterm election, man, this would have been the one. I was convinced we were going to have it. Mm -hmm. Not a single meaningful incumbent in America lost. It was like the most incumbent, pro-incumbent midterm election in modern history after all the hell they just put us through. And, And what broke me was that realization like, oh, the old system is out now. We're going to have to actually punish, we're going to have to elect Republicans that will punish Democrats. We can't trust the voters anymore. We have to elect the Republicans that will do this, that will now take the power we give them. The old social compact of this is e pluribus unum is broken now. And now this is a full out cold civil war. And what we need now is, and how do we win the last civil war? Reagan understood there were men in the Kremlin who looked at the weakness of the United States and actually thought they could win a nuclear war. He had to create a deterrent so there would be mutually assured destruction. You understand no one wins this. Okay, you cannot win. You fire a hundred at us, we'll fire a thousand at you. Okay, you can't win. All we'll do is just turn this thing into a dust bowl for cockroaches. No one can win. And we are going to have to elect Republicans, Glenn, that will do that. And you kind of alluded to it a minute ago. All right, where are the red state AGs? Where are the red county AGs and places where, 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 where Hunter Biden took a dump once? Mm-hmm. Right, drove through your state once and you got it on camera. Mm-hmm. All right, hey, that's residency. We got gotcha, you. Okay. Where is the equal lawfare to say, if you do this to us, we will do this to you. Are you sure you want to do this? Are you, what's happening right now is there is no mutually assured destruction. Correct. They think they can do whatever they want to us and get away with it. And they and can. And they do. And the voters, are, the voters have checked out. They're not going to mm-hmm. hold them accountable anymore. And, the, and one of the big reasons why is they just don't like Republicans. They just, they hate, they don't think Republicans will do what they think. It's funny, if you look at the midterm elections, who were the Republicans that actually won? Not even guys I agree with all the time, like Brian Kemp and Mike DeWine, but guys who actually led their states, not always in ways I would have, Ron DeSantis, my governor, Kim Reynolds, they were the ones that won big. No other Republicans anywhere run. In other words, the idea that I'm just going to vote Republican now as a check and balance against Democrats ain't going to work anymore. You're going to have to earn my vote. I don't trust any of you guys. 
Okay, I don't think you're going to do what I think. I don't think you're going to do your high-minded talk. I don't think we're going to cut government or any of that kind of stuff. I think you're going to help your corporate cronies. That's what I think you're going to do. Yeah. Now, this might not come as a surprise to you, um, but Steve and I both love uh, meat. Yeah, all-American meat. Uh, knock the horns off it. Uh, just take the chill off and, and uh, put it on a plate. Love it. Uh, especially, uh, I especially like really good meat that's free. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't sound safe all the time. However, with Good Ranchers, it's safe, delicious, and free. Good Ranchers is not only the best at sourcing the best meat in America and delivering it directly to your door, but they are now offering two years of free ground beef when you subscribe. That is a $480 value. Name another company that is a meat company that not only gives you the best cuts of meat from all high quality, all American sources, but then gives you two years of free meat when you sign up. Oh, and there's something else. Inflation is horrible. Can you imagine what meat prices are going to be uh, in a year from now? Bacon just pork bellies. I follow the pork belly market, you know, that's gone up 100 percent since the beginning of uh, this summer bacon's going to cost you a lot of money you lock in your price for all of your meat now for the next two years become part of your family meals uh, that you can actually afford go to goodranchers.com right now use the promo code glenn save 25 25 dollars off and 480 dollars of free ground beef in your first two years subscribe and lock in that price goodranchers.com promo code glenn now Republicans are going to have to lead now. We have to elect people that will go to Disney and say, no, you're not going to put porn in our schools. In fact, I'm going to not only, I'll, I'll, I'll give you one story about DeSantis that just blew my mind at the time. One of his staffers is a guy named Kyle Lamb, a buddy of mine. And uh, when DeSantis came out against Disney, I sent Kyle a text and I said, dude, really? I didn't expect that. But I said, you know what? If you really want to hurt Disney and take them on, Tell your boy to go after their set-asides, and that'll really hurt him where it counts. And he texts me back, LOL, I think we're probably a little ways away from doing something like that. 48 hours later, Ron DeSantis walks out there and says, and we're going to take away their corporate set-asides and all of their uh, grift and uh, all of their bennies, and we're going to treat them like Bush Gardens and, um, and SeaWorld and every other attraction in Florida. No more favoritism for you. That blew my mind. Mm-hmm. because I've never, I just never saw a Republican do anything like that. Mm-hmm. The closest was what Scott Walker did in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. where he actually took the union's ability to use government to fund themselves away, okay? But the idea of now affirmatively, that, that was still like a check and balance move though, but like taking power and then affirmatively wielding it against the other side to punish them. One of our colleagues here at The Blaze, Oran McIntyre, likes to say, politics is about punishing your enemies and rewarding your friends. He's right, Now, we can do that in ways that are still constitutional. I am not saying to become nihilists and go on, become Japanese, the version of the right wing American version of Japanese kamikaze pilots. But for a long time, Glenn, we've been nicer than God. And I think anything short of helping them burn the Constitution ourselves and violating the Ten Commandments, we ought to be willing to do to win. And we're not willing to do most of those things yet. And that's why we're on the brink of losing. So I am willing to do absolutely everything the constitution allows us to do i am willing to do everything that the bill of rights allows us to do 
Um, and I am willing to look at new strategies mm-hmm. uh, like Vivek has talked about. You know, my theory is I can fire all these people yeah. or I'm working for them, not mm-hmm. the other way around. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. And mm-hmm. that's a battle I, I want to fight. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I'm not willing to become everything I despise. I agree. And, and zero times zero is still zero. Right. And so we are. Um, my fear is that we either continue to elect people like Mitch McConnell, who will we're over, we're over, or we um, because hunger is coming. Hunger is coming. Um, you think crime in our cities is bad now? Give it a year. Give it a year. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if a Republican will win. Um, we are headed for real hard times and the next logical step that happens throughout history is dictatorship. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I, I feel it's very necessary to make sure that when we talk about things like this, that we are saying, and, and everybody else that is involved is saying, we are based on the which you said declaration of independence that's our mission statement how to do it is our uh, constitution and just a safety reminder you're never to do any of these things is a bill of rights mm-hmm. those three things and if we can have some sort of a great awakening mm-hmm. that balances mm-hmm. that power does not fuse itself, mm-hmm. but balances it. Mm-hmm. If we can restore those things, that's a high, high bar to fill, especially when people are like, just stop them. Just stop them. What you just described is, is, is just to show you how high of a bar it is. It's only happened one time in human history. We just described that's called the American Revolution. I know what typically happens is either um, the uh, the Little Red Book Revolution mm-hmm. or the French Revolution. Mm-hmm. Some form of vote populi power to the people. The problem is the people are sinners. And so when, when they don't recognize that, meaning they don't have that awakening, that revival, mm-hmm. we had great awakenings before we had we had a revolution. When people don't have the, the realization that there is a God and you're not it and you're accountable to him and, um, and, 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 and you're a human, he's not. You're finite, he's not. You're a sinner, he's not. Without that humility, what ends up happening is uh, the Vopopuli revolution ends up killing even more people uh, than the previous aristocracy of elites did. That's what you've seen mm-hmm. in Marxist countries mm-hmm. where you see the French Revolution. And so when they're done taking the guillotine to the elites, they then roll it over to the church next. They bring out the bishops, mm-hmm. they execute them, they take the Virgin Mary out of the Cathedral of Notre Dame and they put the goddess of reason in mm-hmm. and they call it a reign of terror mm-hmm. because we're God now, mm-hmm. all right? And we're gonna replace the people that gave us the mm-hmm. old gods. That's why, that's why. Well, there's old- something, but there is something new being introduced now that is very um, reminiscent of uh, 1930, early 1930s. And that is um, um, this idea that it is uh, modernism that is mm-hmm. the problem, mm-hmm. that the um, enlightenment was a problem, that we have to go back and reset before the Declaration of mm-hmm. Independence before the Enlightenment, before you could ask questions, before science. Science is not bad. 
it is the idea that the scientists now believe they're God. Yes. That's they're, the they're no longer seeking truth. They're conjuring it. Correct. Yeah. You're you describing know, that's it's, progressivism. That's right. regressivism. It is going back si- to a pre Judeo Christian understanding of the world. Correct. Basically. And if you yeah. go and say, you know, in Germany, it could have been very easy to go and say, you know what? Uh, it's these doctors, it's these nurses that really got us into trouble because it was mm-hmm. it was the medical establishment. But they knew it was the people's philosophy mm-hmm. that had gone. It's not mm-hmm. science. It's the people's philosophy that mm-hmm. are in science. Mm-hmm. And so what's new here, I think, that you add to what you were just saying is there now there are many people on the right too that are now starting to say none of that is any good right none of the the declaration of constitution we have to go before questioning Mm -hmm. of anything to be able to come back that's a slaughterhouse as well i agree one of the things i am frustrated by i i I don't believe and this last election again broke me because I, i i don't believe i don't like saying this okay but I, I don't believe there is literally anything the system could do to Donald Trump that would make the independents and normies that have deserted us the last few elections and, and who have made it clear they don't like him suddenly say, you know what? Um, you masked my kids. You told me I had to take an experimental shot in order to have a job. And you locked down my church. And I don't really care about all of that. But you know what? This billionaire that you're persecuting now, that's suddenly a real issue for me, despite the fact I voted for a dementia patient who, mm-hmm. made, who gave me the worst car mar- new car market in American history and the most expensive housing market in American history. I, I voted for this dementia patient over mean tweets and, 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 and created generational damage for my kids and grandkids. But now that you're treating Donald Trump unfairly, I suddenly care more about him than I, I cared about my own household. And I voted against him the last so few elections. So what happens when they put him in jail? I think nothing happens. I think we will meme. Um, I think that we will, uh, I mean, I, the amount of mug shots that I saw trending today, people coming up with their own Trump mug shots for fun, yeah. I mean, I, I, that I saw on conservative Twitter. Again, I, a lot of people think this is a show. I saw a YouGov poll last week that showed only 12% of Republicans think Trump will be convicted. A buddy of mine who works at a, for, a, for a governor, and a Republican governor, was at the gym the day of the D.C. indictment. And he was there with a bunch of his buddies, and they're sitting around the TV watching it in between sets. And he looks at him and he says, you guys know that they're going to convict him, right? This is Washington, D.C. It's a gulag. It's not a jury. Mm-hmm. And his buddies looked at him. These are his buddies. Oh, no, man. Trump's got a plan. It's a show. Okay. No. And I think we, we are not as serious as our enemies are. They are serious as a COVID jab uh, induced myocarditis heart attack. Mm-hmm. Very serious. I think we think this is a show. I think we think that some form of normalcy will just kind of organically return. And, and I think it's because we're very comfortable. And I, I you know, I was in May, I was invited to a meeting of uh, some Christian ministry leaders from around the country. And we all agreed politics stays away for now. Let's just talk about where the country is spiritually and where we think things are going. And we just got together, prayed together, talked, had a very blunt conversation. And one of the senior members of, uh, of the leaders that were there got up towards the end, almost like Benjamin Franklin, man, in mm-hmm. Independence Hall kind of stuff. He's the old, one of the oldest guys there. Mm-hmm. And he got up and he looked at us and he said, you know, there's been a lot of talk about we need revival. And I have said on my show for years, it's revival or bust, right? He goes, everybody here is talking about revival. He goes, just make sure, do you guys truly understand what you're asking the Lord for if you ask for that? 
because he cannot send revival to us right now. We're too comfortable. We'll reject it. All right. We don't think we need him. We think mm-hmm. we got this figured out. We're all good to go. We, if we just nominate the right Republican and win the next election, or if we get, if I get the right job, if I marry the right person, my kids get in the right school, we'll get this whole thing fixed. He goes, so I, he goes, I desperately agree. This country's needed revival. He said then at more time and then all my 70, 80 plus years, but understand what you're asking the Lord to do. If we want revival is to humble. We have to be humbled first. And he said in the 17th and 18th century, we had awakenings alongside normal American life without a lot of civil disruption Mm -hmm. because we weren't as profit. We weren't as prosperous and comfortable as we are now. There wasn't a such thing as a teenager in 1812. All right. Nobody, nobody, nobody in the, during the 18th century, Jonathan Edwards revivals had a, had a social media account <laughs> that they were monetizing. Right. I mean, life in and itself was, was far more uncomfortable than anything we could tolerate today. So, so awakenings without a mass amount of civil unrest could be possible because the people were much humbler back then. We're going to have to be humbled quite a bit. And so if we truly want revival, he said, things are going to actually have to probably get markedly worse than they are right now. They will. And, and, and that froze me. I hadn't even thought about that because I'd always looked at the past and when awakenings happen and they happen within the, the largely normal aspects of American life. But this is not the same American life as 300 years ago. One more segment with Steve here. But first, let me tell you about Relief Factor. Um, if you've lived in pain, and I mean real pain for a long time, it so quickly wears you out. Um, I had, I did something to my back and I really screwed it up and I've got a bad back already and I don't have pain. Uh, most of the time, uh, can't feel my legs, but most of the time I don't have any pain relief factor takes care of that for me. Uh, but I really screwed it up and it took me about four days of living like this where I just started, my moods just started going down to the ground. And I'm like, I can't live this way. Um, I take relief factor every day. It reduces inflammation and it keeps me steady most of the time. If you've been dealing with pain in your life and you feel like you've tried everything, try relief factor. Will you please just try it? Get your life back. Three week quick start is only 1995. It's a trial pack, not a drug developed by doctors. Try it now. 1995 three week quick start relieffactor.com or call them at 800 for relief. Look, we, I think the Lord's been trying to humble us since 9-11. And we just keep getting more and more arrogant. Mm-hmm. And in everything we do, we try to prove to him we're God. And we don't need you. Um, the, the, the reason why we have the society we have is because we've lost humility, because mm-hmm. we've lost gratitude. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I get up every day and there will be something in my life that happens and it doesn't have to be grand it can just be standing someplace and looking at just the technology of everyday life thank you Mm -hmm. my gosh look at where we're living look at the time we're living in Mm -hmm. even look at the bad things that are happening and the good things that could happen on the horizon all of this, no one has lived like we are living right now. I know. And because we just take it and go, yeah, it's always going to be like this. We have no gratitude and we have no humility. When my son was uh, younger, 
he was about nine and we sat and we watched Disney's Man in Space, which is the 1955 film that he made that actually convinced America we could go to space and go mm-hmm. to the moon. And uh, Werner von Braun was part of it. And uh, uh, the next thing that was up was uh, Man on Mars and also a Disney thing. Mm-hmm. And I said to my son, it'll be amazing when we go to Mars. And he said, we haven't been there. I said, no. <laughs> and he said, why? I said, well, it's a little difficult. It's a long, 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 long way away. Mm-hmm. And I realized this is the, everything is possible to them. Everything. Mm. You can do anything. Um, Sky's the limit. Mars, why aren't we there? How come we're not there? I've heard people say, oh, we definitely didn't land on the moon. You know, Mm -hmm. India just became the fourth country to be Mm -hmm. able to land on the moon, Mm -hmm. I think, yesterday. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if we could do that, uh, you know, Russia just crashed a lunar rover. Uh, uh, China has crashed. You know, we have these rockets from Musk that are blowing up. We never went to the moon. Yeah, we did. It's just very difficult to do it. Mm. We have no concept of of any of that now and you know that's why the people in china i have been told the christians in china have been praying for us to um uh for our economy and everything to collapse and they're doing it because because i said what 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 are you praying for and they said humility you you, you're you have to be humbled you don't remember who you are you don't I mean, remember. Within, within a decade, there'll be more Christians in China than any country in the oh, world. Yeah, yeah. There's a better chance that you will be converted to Christianity being born in China than in Chicago, if you look at the stats. I got news for you. I was a, I was a better member of my faith in New York than I ever am in Salt Lake City. Because mm. there's no rub. There's no, it's just, mm. that's what it is. It's like so, being a, a, a Catholic in Rome. So before you and I started recording this, um, I got an email yesterday from a gentleman who one of his best friends is a guy named Daryl Evans. And Daryl Evans is a former Major League Baseball All-Star. And he was the first player in baseball history to hit 40 home runs in both the American and National League. And he played for my beloved uh, childhood, Detroit Tigers as a kid. And I watched him, you know, my entire childhood on the great Sparky Anderson Tiger teams of the 80s. And he comes in today and it turns out he's a big fan of you and the Blaze and our show. And he wants to, he comes in, I give him the tour, you were still on the air. And uh, he lets me put on, he brings it, comes in wearing his 1984 Detroit Tigers World Series ring. Wow. And it is actually a perfect fit on my finger. And I take a picture with him in the ring and my wife takes the picture and I go to talk and I can't. Because I'm thinking to myself, I'm, the, I'm back to being the 10 year old boy that when my parents went to bed and the Tigers on the West Coast and it's 1030 Eastern and I got school the next morning and I'm sneaking up to turn the TV on and putting it on with no sound so I can follow the game and I'm gonna be up till 1 a.m. for school, right? Yeah. I'm back to being that kid again. And it dawned on me after that moment and how magical it was, first of all, even in the midst of all of the existential dangers facing us, the Lord is still good, just these kinds of little blessings, right? But it also reminded me that what are we really fighting for? I think that we're not fighting for our kids and grandkids. That's who we're fighting for. That's who we're fighting for. To pass on an American legacy to them that was given to us so that we're not the generation Reagan warned about 
the one that will one day have to tell their children what it was like once in America when we were free. But what we're fighting for is actually moments like what you just described with your son, what I had out here in the lobby with Dare Levins, the idea that it's those, the major benchmarks in life that matter the most, a marriage. If everything goes right, it'll happen only once, at most twice. Um, your, your, your kids being born, that only happens once for each kid. Your kid graduating from school, that only happens once for each kid. Your kid getting married, that only happens once for each kid. These major benchmarks are rare. That's why they're so important and we, we organize our lives around them and celebrate them. In between those major benchmarks, we go to work every day, pay the bills every day. What are the things in between those major benchmarks that bring joy to, the, to your life? So that you don't feel like a cog in a machine. So that you feel like your life is, is worthwhile, that it's fun, joyful, that there's a reason for those things. When America provided more than anything and more than any other nation on earth ever has been able to because of its prosperity um, and because of its supremacy and its liberties and its freedoms is those little moments of joy mm -hmm. that I, I was given, I had the freedom and the prosperity to even go sit for $4 in the old Tiger Stadium bleachers, 440 feet away from home plate and watch Darrell Evans as a little boy hit a home run into those seats. And if we lose those things, it, it, what's happened, we're going to lose them because see in our era, particularly the men, they have prioritized those little joys over their main responsibilities that we now, we now don't look forward to those little joys to give us a break from our responsibility so we can, and we get refueled. Hey, I had a, a weekend off. I went to the ball game, hung out with my kid, took my wife out on a date night. I'm good. You know, I'm, I'm ready to go back to the battle on Monday. All right. I'll be at my kid's school board meeting on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. I'll go to my kid's game on Friday. All right. We flipped our priorities now, particularly the men. Now they know more details about their fantasy baseball team than they do their legislature. Now they know more details about their leisure pursuits than they do their priorities and responsibilities. And because of that, because our priorities are out of order, we're now in danger of losing both. You're now in danger of everything's politicized now. Even your leisure pursuits are politicized now. Mm -hmm. And so because we're not, our we're not engaged generationally, we're not in the fight generationally, particularly the men, and, and the leisure pursuits are an, are an ends and a means to themselves. They're, they're the goal, okay? Not a break, but they're the goal. And we're in danger of losing all of that. That's really the unique, your museum is a testimony to this. What you have chronicled for decades and collected and having that museum across the street, yes, there's historical things of great significance there, okay? There's also Dorothy's red shoes. Mm -hmm. There's also a Darth Vader helmet. They're really in the grand scheme of things. No one's taken that with them to the next life, okay? But until we get to that next life, it's actually those things mm -hmm. that, that give us joy to keep going, to finish the race, as St. Paul said, to keep going, to not quit, to, to keep fighting, us. to encourage us, all right? And, and we're in danger of losing those things because we have prioritized those things more than the historical things that you have archived in that museum as well. It, it, without knowing it, um, I think you explained why we collected those things last. Hmm. We didn't collect them at the same time. Mm -hmm. We focused on the really important. And then when we had enough of that as our center, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, you know, John Adams said, I, I'm doing this now so my children can study mathematics and yes. everything else. Yep. So they can build an art, you know, gallery that their children 
can appreciate art. But right now I can't do any of that because yep. I'm just trying to I'm just trying to have freedom and opportunity yeah. to work. Like my son, we had a moment this summer. My son uh, had in the same had this a lot of days this summer had to get up and go to pre, uh, off-season conditioning for football at 7 a.m. in the mm -hmm. summer, work out in the heat, mm -hmm. then come home, go to lunch, and then go to work, where he worked outside for a company that did inflatables. And he was often putting in seven, eight, nine hours in the heat all summer long. And he'd come home at night, and I'd be like, you want to hang out? You're tired? What do you want to do? He's like, I'm tired. I kind of just want to you know, play Skyrim. Do you care? I said, you know what? Play Skyrim for the next three hours. You know why? Because you got up, went to football practice, worked out for two hours there, came home for lunch, went to work, worked another six hours. You handle your business first. Your time is yours. That is your leisure time. You may do what you want with it. You earned that time. What we want to do in our era now is flip it. Yes. And the leisure time now is actually what we want to do during the day when we're supposed to be productive. Correct. All right. And then, it, and then, and then by that point in time, it's too late and our priorities are out of order. And I think God is going to have to humble those, hum, humble us where those priorities are concerned to bring us to a place where our hearts are ready for revival. And if we can be humble enough to not kill each other while that's happening. And I'm worried about uh, that. I am yeah. too. But, uh, with God's grace, uh, you know, maybe we'll, maybe we'll do that. Always good to see you. You bet, man. When you come, I didn't ask a single question I had prepared. <laughs> uh, so when you come back, uh, will you come back to the podcast? Absolutely. I'd love to. Great. You bet. Thank yeah. you. Just a reminder, I'd love you to rate and subscribe to the podcast and pass this on to a friend so it can be discovered by other people. 